you are a great and awesome God. Thank you that you want us to know you. Thank you that you have a message for us this evening, tomorrow and Sunday. Thank you, Lord, that it will be just wonderful for us. It will be music to our ears, even though for a while it might take us uh, time to get the beat, as it were, and to align ourselves with it, to learn to dance to your tune. Um, I pray, Father, that you would help us with that and that you would um, show us, as you promised, great and mighty things that we have not seen, that you would open up your word to us and show us the way we, we should go on from here and that we would receive that from you with um, thanksgiving, with joy and uh, safe in the knowledge that everything you ask us to do, you enable us to do. I praise you for this place. I thank you that we could come. I thank you for everyone who's here. I pray for Jane, who's had to go home. How disappointing for her. I pray that she would feel better soon. And uh, for anyone who's nursing any cold or cough, as I am, that you would undertake, Lord God, to enable us to do and be what we need to do and be this weekend. And I praise you because you will answer that prayer, Lord. You will. And I... Um, I thank you in advance for all that we will hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 26, 36 to 46. <coughs> Sorry, Brian, is that, is that mic on? I'm sorry, you have to at least be able to use the microphone, Barbara. <laughs> After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the rock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you that this very night, before a rooster crows. I think you're in the wrong place, Barbara. Yes. Matthew 26, 36 yes. to 46. You started at... It's 30 to 46. Oh, come on, keep up. You've got it on paper in front of you. I'm just going, I'm just going by this. 30 to 46. Oh, okay, speed up myself then, sorry. Sorry, 36 to 46. 36 to 46, thank you. We're almost over there. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, saying, He left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Thank you. And then could somebody read Luke 22, 39 to 46? doesn't matter who it is. I just want to give you the microphone. Thank you. <coughs> Luke 22, 39 to 46. Thank you. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood, falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping with sorrow, and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Thank you. Jesus, we know these scriptures, you've read them before. Jesus has left the upper room where he's had the Last Supper, with, the, um, with his disciples, and he's got on his way down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you only had Matthew's account, you would read that he prayed three times for God to take the cup from him. But Luke's account gives you an idea of the magnitude of the suffering that he went through. Luke will tell us that his sweat was like drops of blood. And you start to understand what sort of a test it was that Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane and why he wanted his disciples to pray for him. Why was he so concerned going back to them every time saying, can you not even keep watch even for an hour? You know, please pray. And then at the end of Luke's account, he, he tells them, um, uh, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Um, so here, here in these two accounts, you've got the last trial of Jesus before his death on the cross. And, um, and you can see it was a really hard test. It was a hard test. Um, Paul will later um, describe it in Philippians chapter 2 
I'm going to read that one. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Have this attitude in yourself, as was all also had in Christ Jesus, um, who, di- who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I have to say, it took me quite a few years after becoming a Christian to really totally understand. I'm sure now I don't totally understand the depth of this suffering. You know, I would be in my church and it would be Easter and Good Friday coming up and um, people would be, you know, talking about the crucifixion. and, And I think in me, even though I'd been a believer for a while, there was this, well, he was God, you know, he was God, not quite the same. Um, and I don't really think, I think it took an act of God for me to understand that, um, as I say, the depth and the magnitude of this and the fact that he learned obedience through the things he suffered, that Christ, first of all, had to learn something that's almost unimaginable, but that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And I suppose it's that, really, that... Um, had been on, has been on my mind since this title popped into my mind. I, um, I'm not very spiritual about titles, I have to say. You know, I, I, I kind of think, what we're going to do in Lindors, what will we do here? And a, a, a phrase pops into my head or a title, and I think, oh, that sounds pretty good. We'll have that. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about then. It's just the, the, the verse or the... Um, and this popped into my head, and I, I think I had a totally different idea in mind until I started to um, prepare it. In fact, um, the first thing I started to think about was when I went to Israel last year in May, I was taken to a village that was a copy of Nazareth village. Maybe some of you have been there. And um, I was shown an olive press. And... As I started to think about, okay, what we, what's this pressed down, shaken and overflowing? Oh, you have, we haven't got to that yet. Um, <coughs> I was thinking about this idea of pressing. And um, I'm going to get to the scripture, that's what I mean. We haven't got to the scripture yet. I was thinking about this idea of pressing, which is what was happening to Jesus in the garden. He is being pressed down by this trial and having to pray through um, what he knows he's going to go through. Um, and when you see, has anyone seen olives pressed? Have you, have you seen them pressed? So you know what it's like then. Um, in, in this place in Nazareth village, the fir- they bring the olives in, and then they have a stone, a circular stone, that's about 12 inches thick, maybe more, and they push that down on the olives, and out comes some oil, and that oil is virgin oil. It's the first press. And... Um, And then they take the pulp and they put it into baskets with a hole in the center. So it's like an old uh, Mexican hat, you know. It's a straw basket. 
and um, with a hole in the center of it. And they pile those baskets, 10 or 12 on high, and then they bring another stone down on the top of that. And they have the second press of oil. And then they take what's left of that and they do the same thing again. And they press it again. So in order to press olives, you know, you and I don't know what you thought about it, but you know, I used to think, well, you just press it and that's it. Um, these olives, but they do it three times, and they traditionally used each type of oil for a different thing. So when I came to be thinking about this, into my mind came the first press, the virgin oil, what we call virgin oil, was used for anointing in the temple. The second press was used for, um, for food, for medicine, and for cosmetics. And the third press was used for lamps and for soap. And all of a sudden, I th well, hopefully it was God, <laughs> um, I started to realize, what did Jesus accomplish in his death on the cross? What did he accomplish by going through those three pressings? Three times he prayed. There's nothing coincidental in scripture. He prayed three times. Take this cup from me. And now they press olives in Israel three times to extract all of the oil from the olives. What did he accomplish for me in his, not even just in his death, but in and his resurrection, what did he accomplish for those who would follow after him because he submitted to that pressing, because he was obedient even to the point of death? Think about it. Um, if the first lot of oil is for the anointing and use in the temple, what did he accomplish for me? 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. You all have an anointing from the Holy One. What's the anointing you have from the Holy One? You have the Holy Spirit. That required a pressing of Jesus. You have an anointing from the Holy One. What's the second one? What was the second press for? It was for food and for medicine and for cosmetics. What have you received because of Jesus' pressing? You have received your necessary food. You have received the bread of life. You have received the one who will feed you through eternity. You've received the food. And what about the cosmetics? How does that fit? Yeah, beauty for ashes. You are being transformed into the beautiful image of the Lord Jesus. But that required his pressing. It required his... Um, his struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, obviously his whole life had been taking him to that point, but he had to go through that point. And Luke says he sweat drops of blood. Drops of blood. What for? So that you and I could be anointed with the Holy Spirit and we could be the temple of the Holy Spirit so that you and I would receive the bread of life, that the food that he would be would be enough for us every day of our life. Healing, food, healing and cosmetics, that we would be beautified, we would be made beautiful by his spirit. And we would ha be healed 
in the, in the depths of our being, at the place where we need healing more than anything else, we would be healed for eternity because of this pressing. And what's the third thing? The, the third press? For light. For light. The, the, pr- the third press produced the oil that would be used in the lamps. He would be the light of the world. He would be the light of the world because he was pressed. Because of the trial he went through. Light and what else? What else was it used for? Soap. What does soap do? It cleanses. He would be pressed a third time to be the cleansing agent for the whole world, everyone who would come to him. This is what, I mean, it just kind of struck me. Everything that Jesus went through was for the purpose of providing everything that we need. And not just, because we say that so many times, don't we? We say, oh yeah, yeah, he's, he's this and he's that and he's done this and he's done that. But breaking it down like this, you know, he is the anno- he's, his suffering produced the anointing oil that anointed me. His suffering produced the oil that would make me beautiful. His suffering produced the oil that would be feeding me my whole eternity. His suffering produced for me the light. What does John say? John's Gospel, John chapter 1. In him was light. And that light was what? The light of the world. He is the light of the world that coming into the world enlightened every man. How did he do that? Through the pressing. Through the pressing. Um, So, um, I'd alluded to it before before we got there. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. See, isn't that where we begin? Don't we begin where he finished or where he finished his earthly life? Don't we begin by receiving from him what he was pressed and died and resurrected to give us? And so now aren't we supposed to go out with what he gave to us? Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to verse 38. Maybe two people could read that, just... um, Someone read 22 whenever and then someone else the last. (coughs) (coughs) And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophet. No, 238, it's a long way down, 20 to 38. Okay, I'll, I'll read it. Twin. But woe to you who are rich, 
for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat these, the false prophets in the same way. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whatever he asks, whatever, and whoever, t sorry, and give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. We always look at that verse about giving. We always link that verse to giving. But it is included in Luke's mini version of the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is saying is, everything you think about how to live is turned upside down. Turned upside down. And his, he's saying this knowing that he's going to th go through the pressing that is going to enable you and I to do it. It's going to enable people who live for him, who believe in him, to live this way. Do you want the pouring out and overflowing? Do you? Of course you do. What has to come first? You have to be pressed down and shaken. You have to be pressed down and shaken. Why do we always think that everything from Jesus, he had to do it all so that I don't have to? He did it so that I can live comfortably. He did it, therefore it's, he's going to give it all to me. That's not what he said anywhere in scripture. That is not what he said. If he said he said, if you want to follow me, you must pick up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me. And here, here in these, um, these verses, he makes it clear that this is not the way you would choose. I wouldn't choose this way. You wouldn't choose this way. Who would choose this way? Nobody. But what he's telling them and what he's telling us is, and what he prayed three times not to have to go through is to live the life of Christ, to live a believing life, to live a life that will make a difference in this world. You must be willing to go through the pressing that Jesus went through. He did not die 
so that you don't have to. That is a lie. It's a lie. He died so that you would be able to and know that there was life after death. We have this thing in Western Christianity, which is, you know, Christ died on the cross so that I could be, you know, I don't have to die. That's not true. It's not true. And it's nowhere in Scripture. Christ died on the cross to make the way for you to be able to be crucified with him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, uh, 20. Uh, for I have been crucified with Christ. Um, for I have been crucified with Christ. And, um, and I no longer live. Uh, sorry, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What does he start that verse with? I mean, I would imagine most of you can quote that verse. What does he start with his first phrase? I have been crucified with Christ. Jesus did not die so that you and I wouldn't have to. He died so that we could die with him. And if he hadn't died, if he hadn't gone through that pressing, you and I would be lost for eternity. So here in Luke, in Luke 6, what he's trying to do is to say, you know, the, the way of a crucified life, the way of a life of a person who wants to live for God, who's going to follow me, is upside down. It's a dead life. It's a dead life. It's a life that's dead to yourself. It's a life that died when Christ died. See, I could say to you, well, when, when were you crucified? You can't crucify yourself. You don't have to go through the whole thing again. When were you crucified? <coughs> well, you were actually crucified with Christ in God's economy. Yeah, for I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Is that true of you? I mean, I know it's late and we've only just had dinner and you're sleepy. But really, is that true of you? Can you honestly say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live? Because if I went round the room and I asked you, do you want to live for Christ? You'd say, yes. Yes, I want to live for Christ. And if I asked you, do you want to be a light shining in the darkness? Yes, I want to be on fire for the Lord. And do you want to feed people with the word of God? Yes, I want to know more of the word so that I can give more of the word to other people. You'd answer yes to all those questions. And then if I said to you, that's going to take a lot of pressing, you'd all go. Because we don't want that in our humanity. We don't want that. It's too hard. And it was too hard for Jesus. Almost. It was almost too hard for Jesus. Yet he went through it. Why? To be obedient to the Father and... Because he so loved the world. Because what is the way to glory? It's crucifixion. 
The way to glory is crucifixion. There is no shortcut. It is always crucifixion. Christ died so that you could die with him. And he, the sinless, the only sinless human being who didn't have to die for anything, died so that you could receive glory. He, he had glory. He was going to glory. He, he came from glory. There was nothing that he needed to do. But he did it so that you and I could go to glory, could receive glory, could, could live in glory. Now, what do you think he wants us to understand from that, to know from that? Yeah, how much he loved us. We'll take that as red. Let's just take that as red. It would take great love to do that. It would take enormous, immense love, which we don't have. So yeah, let's just take that. That's, that's done. What, what, what are now are we going to, what are we going to take from it? What are we going to know from this? Hmm? Exactly. We say we want to follow Jesus. Oh, but I'm not sure I want to follow him there. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just not sure I want to follow him here. And, and actually, you know, we always like link this to sin. You know, we always link, you know, and every, as I'm speaking, I'm sure inside, one or two of you, because I know the rest of you are super holy, but one or two of you are thinking, does that mean she knows I'm doing this? Or, you know, is God pinpointing this? No, I'm not actually. I'm not talking about sin. Your sins are already forgiven. If you're still doing them, poor you. Because they're not giving you any joy. They're just stealing your joy. What he's talking about is a death to everything that you are. A death to self. Self, a death to self. Not to the things you do, but to who you are in your humanness. In, in Philippians chapter 3, um, Paul will say, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. <coughs> Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Um, Romans 6, 1 to 7. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> if Christ died that we might be glorified... When are we going to receive the glory? When are we going to see the glory? I want to see it now. When's the glory coming? When's it coming? Hebrews chapter 12. Someone else can read that. Shout out if you haven't got the microphone. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. <coughs> For 
since we have no Yes. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you. When Christ died on the cross for sinners, he didn't just stand in my place. He didn't just do what I could never do. He didn't just pay the penalty for my sin, he, making, giving me forgiveness. He um, offered redemption and he marked out the path that I have to follow that I have to follow. If I call myself a Christian, I have to walk the way he walked. And that I'm not talking about, I mean, through the course of this weekend, I dare say some of your individual sins, which are probably piled to the high to the ceiling, will come out. But we're not talking about that. We're not really talking about sins, plural. We're talking about death to your self, the self that you are. Because honestly, you can measure yourself pretty good when you give up some of your stuff. I mean, you can look like a real super spiritual holy person because you don't do what you used to do. And now you even go to church every week, you come to weekends like this. Oh my goodness, you are really holy. And it's easy to get lost in that. It's easy to lose track of what is the death to self that Paul talked about. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live. What did he mean? And how do I get to that place? Paul was totally committed to following Jesus. He was totally committed to it. He, he faced everything with a view, is that taking me on the path of Christ? Is that making me closer to Christ? Is that enabling me to be where I should be? Now think about Jesus. Think about the three pressings that I started with. What was the first pressing for? Anointing. anointing the Holy Spirit. Anointing and being a temple. He was pressed and went through the whole death to bring to us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you probably are okay because you've gone through the first press. You know, you had to bend a little and you had to say, okay, I, I've been saying for years you don't exist, but right now you do. So, you know, I've capitulated and I've believed in you. And you receive the Holy Spirit and you're a temple of the Spirit. You've been anointed. You've, you've received an anointing from the Holy One. But now Jesus is coming to you and he's saying, there's a second press about to go on. There's a second press. And that's going to transform you. You are going to go from, who, well, not who you are because you're very beautiful, but you are going to become beautiful like him. I'm going to transform you into the image of Christ. You are going to be beautiful. And because I do that, you are going to be bread. You are going to be food 
for the people around you and you're going to feed people who need feeding and you're going to be able to talk to people in real terms so that they make connections with you and that making that connection with you, they hear from the Lord God. You're going to be food. You're going to be cosmetics. What was the other thing on the second press? Medicine. You are going to be able to hold out the healing balm of Gilead. You are going to be going to say, I can't do a single thing for your soul, but oh my goodness, I know someone who can. You're going to be able to take them to Jesus. And not any wishy-washy stuff, not any, oh, well, I'm not sure, you know, not really sure, and I don't want to offend. You are going to know that in your, in your heart, in your soul, you have the healing for um, the only healing for those around you. But it takes a press to bring that out. And then the third press. The third press. You want to walk, you want to follow Jesus and he's calling you to, and he's calling all of us to follow him. But he's telling you this weekend, don't go home tonight. <laughs> he's telling you, this is a, <coughs> excuse me, this is a press. It's going to take pressing because this stuff doesn't come out of you automatically. This stuff has to be pressed out. What's the last thing? You want to be a light in your community, in your family? Do you want to be brightly shining for the Lord Jesus? Do you want God to look down from heaven and pick you out? Look at that shining light. Look at that. Look at that person. Look at her. Look at him shining for Jesus. Do you want to be that person? It will take another press. It will take another press. I don't know why. <laughs> I wish I could, God could just say, here you go, here's all of it. But he doesn't. He didn't for his son. He didn't for Jesus. And he won't for us. So there's something in the pressing that is so good that he won't stop until it's done. He won't stop until it's done. Uh, if you can someone go back to Luke chapter five. <coughs> Luke chapter five. What verses one through eleven? Um, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out your net into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Staggered, staggered by this haul of fish, Peter had been jolted into a recognition of who Jesus was. And he had no trouble leaving everything (coughs) and following him. This is one in a series of events, actually, that happened with Peter until he he, um, eventually uh, left everything and followed Jesus. He knew he was a sinful man. Now, the reason I'm talking about that is... um, Paul, can somebody read 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 to 17, please? <coughs> First Timothy 1, 15 to 17. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as, as, as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Um, Paul had this understanding about himself, as Peter has just just described in in Luke, that he was a sinner, that he was a sinner. And actually, although that's quite difficult for us to get to, um, very often some people can never get to that statement, I'm a sinner. Um, Nonetheless, when you get there, you feel like you've made it. Do you know what I mean? I've accepted I'm a sinner and I need a saviour, and now I'm saved, that's all there is. You know, and um, but Jesus goes on to Peter and he says, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. Do not be afraid, I become, I bring forgiveness and transformation. Do not be afraid, from now on life will be different. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt? Life will be different. Um, (coughs) sorry, excuse me, Um, they've seen Peter and his companions, they've seen Jesus for who he is, they've left everything and they've followed him. Actually, Luke will write about that that doing, that that event and the the way that we all do that uh, very often in his Gospels. He will talk about the prodigal son, you know the, the story of the prodigal son? What happens with the prodigal son? Yeah, he marked up big time. Mm. Mm. And realizes, and then he comes back. A.W. Tozer calls that parable the parable of all of mankind. He says that um, first we all leave the Father, and then we come back. Um, And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel will tell us about um, Nebuchadnezzar. And what he'll say is that his reason returned to him. And he came to his senses and he praised the God um, who who lived in heaven and uh, worshipped him. And um, 
And, and we know that feeling because we come to our senses, we understand that Jesus is who he says he is, that we are sinners, not needing, you know, not able to do anything. And we, we, we receive to ourselves the truth of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21 uh, begins with, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. Why? Because in verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in him. See, that's where we live. That's where we all live we live in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. And we're so grateful to live there because we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I assume everybody here is. I don't know you personally. I'll talk to you through the weekend. But, um, but, we, but we live there. I'm a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I came to my senses. I recognized I was a sinner. I heard Jesus say, don't be afraid. From now on, your life will be different. And I came in, and it was great. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf. That's wonderful. I'm going out of the door. I'm a new creation. I'm going to be transformed into the image of Christ. How fantastic will that be? But we forget. We forget that in between, that I might become the righteousness of Christ, of God in him, that I might become his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf. Positionally, I am absolutely in the perfect place with God and nothing can ever change that. I will be, I stand in exactly the right place with God. Why? I know you're tired, so I'm going to ask, why? You died with Christ, but why are you standing in the right place with God? With God? Because you stand in Christ. In Christ. Everything about your salvation is all about him. In Christ Jesus. You stand in Christ. But that you might become the righteousness of God in him? How's that going to happen? You're going to be pressed. You're going to be pressed. Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. Do you really think you're going to learn it quicker than him? He had no sin. No sin. We're not talking about <coughs> sin now. We're talking about a state of being on the inside of you that matches what he's covered you with. We're talking about a life of righteousness, a life where you actually can be used for the glory of his kingdom, where you decide that nothing else matters but that. And where you say, you know, I know I'm going to struggle and I don't, know how easy, I don't know how easy I can do this and I'm not even really sure I want it. But I know it leads to glory. I know it leads to glory. And I have too many people in my family. 
I have too many friends. I have too many neighbors who live in darkness. For me to say, well, that's a bit tough. You know, that's just a little bit tough. I don't know that I can do that. Peter and the others, you must be wondering why I read that out, that that scripture. Peter and the others, they left everything to follow Jesus. But it wasn't long before Peter denied him three times. See, the following of Jesus, the, the going after him, yeah, I'm heading for glory, that's great, that's great. But tomorrow comes, and the next day, and the following week, and something happens that knocks us for six, and we don't know how to deal with that. And so we start to step back. And we all do it, because we're all made of the same stuff. We're all made of dust, and we all go that way. What do you think God wants to let us know? You don't know, do you, because it's late, and it's like, where's she going with all this? You won't know that till Sunday. (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. Matthew 16, 13 to 20. Matthew 16. We have to allow the pressings. You have to allow it. You have to go along with the work of God so that you might become the righteousness of Christ. Because quite honestly, you're no good to anyone unless you've been through the press. You're just not. You can't relate to people in this world. You've got nothing to give them because it's the pressing that brings out of you or puts into you whatever way you want to look at it, the stuff that people need. Matthew um, 16, 13 to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, (coughs) excuse me, and then others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Can you imagine being Peter and just having Jesus say that to you? I mean, where would you be? You'd be up on the clouds, wouldn't you? Wow, wow, he's building his church on us and he said it to me. Or at least I was the one in front. So he's going to build his church on us, guys. It's going to be amazing. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. He must have been on cloud nine. But look what comes next. 16, 21 to 26. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders 
and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in in exchange for his soul? Peter, the one who has just confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has left everything to follow Jesus. That Peter, that same man, finds out he hasn't actually left everything behind to follow Jesus. He's taken along himself. He's taken himself along. And Jesus puts his finger straight on it by telling him that's, this is what's going to happen. Why is it that so many Christians never move from their first declaration of Christ? Why is it that so many Christians waste their lives in bondage instead of living to the glory of God? And why do others, when they see something wrong in their life, keep striving and trying to conquer it, but never do? They pray, they confess, they repent a hundred times, but they find themselves going back to it. And in the end, they live an unhappy, no joy, divided life. Why is that? Why is that? (coughs) Partly. But that's not my answer on the page, Sally, so we can't have that answer yet. <coughs> Why? Because they concentrate on the thing itself. Do you remember I said this is not about individual sins? This is not about individual sins, but we make it about individual sins when we're con- trying to get, strive against this particular thing. We're trying to you know, get rid of it. We're trying to be better in that area. We're trying to be sinless in that area because we miss the fact that we have to deal with the root. We have to deal with the root. What's the root? The root is the source of all sins. It's the source of everything. And that's you. That's your humanness. That's your human, your old man. It's no point trying to cut things up above ground, cut things off above ground, because the root will remain there forever. But that's what we do. You have to get into the root and what's the root? Yeah, it's self. It's why Jesus said, anyone who wants to come after me must pick up his cross daily and deny himself. Not deny your drinking or your smoking or your drug taking or your adultery or your pornography or your, or your you know, 
and I'm sure you could name loads, not deny those things. He could have listed a whole long, immorality, idolatry, all of those things. He could have listed all of those things. He could have written a book on each one, but he didn't. He said, you must deny self. (coughs) You must deny self. Peter understood. He understood about the glory that Jesus was saying. He understood that Jesus would build his church. He understood about um, even even the... He knew it may be quite difficult, but he could not understand or accept that that glory only comes through death to self. It only comes through death to self. (coughs) So, I'm just about to finish, you'll be glad to say. Um, Many Christians think that they came to Christ and that's it. And actually, I know that there'll be people here this weekend who will hear all of this weekend and they'll say, do you know what? I'm okay with just getting in the door. I'm okay. You know, it sounds a bit too hard for me. And my, my statement to that would be, well, let's hope you are in the door. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, oh my goodness, there are going to be a lot of people around you who never hear about Jesus because you wouldn't take some steps in. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to God and we have a responsibility to those people we live amongst. And the problem is that most Christians live a life of thinking, well, what can I do and why do I matter? And surely God can't do anything through me. We miss the fact that we are supposed to be intentionally evangelizing, intentionally discipling. We are supposed to be intentional with our life. We are supposed to be saying, the life you've given me back, to God this is, I know there's a purpose to it. What is it, Lord? Where's my particular purpose? part of this purpose because I don't want to waste another moment I don't want to waste another moment of it because I've spent a long time trying to cut off the, the things I can see instead of understanding that there must be a denial of self myself I pray honestly that um, this weekend you would turn these things over in your mind. You know, just turn them over and decide that God really is calling you. He really is. He does really know your name. And he knows how hard it's going to be. And he knows you're not going to like a lot of it. But he is calling you. (coughs) And then I pray that by the end you say, here I am. Here I am, send me. So that you can walk out 
into glory. Being exactly what he's pressing you to be. Taking the anointing oil of his spirit. Being a temple of his spirit. Going out with the bread of life. Going out with the beautifying oil. What is it? You said, um, Chris, beauty to ashes. God does that, but he does that through people. God does everything almost through people. (coughs) Why are you still here? I don't mean now, but you know, why are you still here? Why didn't God zap you up like E.T. phone home or, you know, Spock on, on Star Trek? Zap us up in a big column of, you know, disintegration. Why didn't he take you up straight away when you believed? Yeah, but what, what's the purpose? What's the purpose here? Tell others about him. You cannot tell people about someone you don't know. And Jesus went through suffering. If you don't know suffering, death to self. I'm not talking about suffering, human suffering. We live in human bodies. We're all going to suffer human things. I'm talking about death to self. I'm talking about the suffering that will come when you decide, I am denying myself. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And make no mistake, make no mistake, that is a hard thing. And it takes constant surrender. Constant surrender. But the follow-up for that is, make no mistake, the world needs surrendered Christians. They need surrendered Christians. They need to see the life of Christ lived out in us because they've had enough of all the talk in all the religion, in all the music, in all the stuff. They need to see the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, thank you that you got us through. Thank you, it's quite warm in here. Um, Thank you, Father. Thank you that you will take this on and take us on. Thank you, Father, that there's always joy with you. There's always blessing. Things that look hard to us in our human understanding, you make joyful. Thank you, Lord, that that you who call enable and that um, you will enable us for the joy set before us to go through whatever it is we must go through in order to die to self. I pray that you would show us what that is this weekend. I pray that you would work in us a desire to do it. And then, oh God, I pray that you would fulfill that desire, that we might really be the, um, the oil, the balm of Gilead, the, the healing the the cleansing, the light of the world, that we might be, Lord God, um, your representatives in a dark and dying world. (coughs) 
in Jesus' name. Amen.